This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Hello, everybody. Mike Griffith here, joined tonight by Jeremy Pruitt. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, really excited to talk about a ton of college football news. We had an incredible uh, weekend of football. We've got awards to talk about tonight. We've got bowls to talk about tonight. We're going to cover it all. We're going to knock it out. We're going to take questions from the audience for Coach Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. And I guess I'll start out with you tonight by asking you for some immediate reactions from this past weekend. Well, Mike, while you were off the air, all of us on here, we had Stetson winning the Heisman. We had the Dogs 15-0, and 0, so uh, we had it figured out. But going back to the weekend, you know, you said it earlier, just uh, starting on Friday night, just a dominating performance by Utah. Um, you look at how they just physically whipped uh, USC, uh, obviously had the, the upset of K-State uh, over TCU, and then um, Georgia closing it out with, you know, to me – I thought was a really, really good win against LSU. Jumped out on them early. Uh, me and you've talked about it. The, you know, got out so far out in front, probably relaxed a little bit. And then there's a quarterback change. And I, I think something that really showed up in that game is the defensive coaching and preparation. Uh, when you give Kirby Smart and his staff uh, room to prepare, weeks to prepare, uh, for an opponent, and then bam, there's a new quarterback. They're doing things that they've not seen, and and probably it showed up a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Jeremy. I think we take it for granted that Kirby can do so many different things and so many different packages, and they prepare so well. It, you, you see Georgia able to take so many things away, and like you said, when you bring that other quarterback out there, it's a bit of a change-up. And we've seen that before. Sometimes when quarterbacks come in, you say, man, why is this guy – a second stringer having all this success. And to your point, it's because they're doing things that maybe the coaches hadn't prepared for on film. At least that uh, was some of the wisdom you shared with me earlier. And I, I agree completely. Now I'll tell you, there was a couple of key injuries in this game. And just to let everybody know where it's at, Lad McConkey left that game in the second quarter. I think Lad was headed for a career day. He already had like five catches and over 50 yards. He might have had over hundred yards receiving in that game, but went down in the second quarter uh, Kirby said at the time after the game that he didn't believe it was going to be serious. Uh, everything I've heard to this point is that Ladd should be fine for the bowl game. They may not be running him out there at practice every day. He may need a little time to rest that knee. Kirby mentioned some tendonitis issues that he'd been having. Certainly Georgia used Ladd McConkey a lot. He was the leading wide receiver all year in addition to a punt return guy, played special teams really provided some important sparks for Georgia throughout the year. I think Ladd will be back for the game, and I think that's important. Uh, Warren McClendon, I have not heard an update on him. You heard Kirby Smart talk about an MCL after the game, said he didn't know what degree it was. Sounds like a sprain to me, but I don't know that for sure. We'll find out from Kirby the next availability. We're not sure when we're going to get a chance to talk to Kirby Smart again or get an update. My guess might be it could be next week. Um, so between now and then, we'll see what we can find out. So those are two very important injuries that Georgia suffered. And, and Jeremy, I got to ask you, you know, you've been the benefactor on a coaching staff before of a team that didn't play in a championship game and was able to get into the college football playoff. And that was 2017. Georgia had to play Auburn in the SEC championship game. Alabama did not play in the SEC championship game, got in. And there were some Georgia folks that thought, you know what? That's kind of a disadvantage. What your take on uh, that team playing one fewer game? Because now it's Ohio State that has one fewer game on their odometer and one more week of rest as they prepare for the semifinal. Well, I think definitely it can be an advantage. Uh, I go back to the 2017 season. If if we would have played in the championship game, we, we were so beat up and just really piecing the team together kind of at the end of the year, uh, it, we really caught a break. Uh, by, by not playing the SEC championship game, gave the guys a chance to, uh, to heal up. Uh, and also, it, it, it's like, a, um, you know, a, you're getting another shot. You know, you, you had your shot through the season. Uh, for whatever reason, it didn't turn out the way you wanted it or expected it to turn out. And then it, it's, man, we got another shot to do this, and it's only two games. So, um, you know, I think, you know, Georgia is going to, 
play a dangerous opponent in Ohio State. I, I mean, you look at the draw when it, you know, comes to the top four off committee. I'm, you know, I think uh, Georgia, uh, Georgia probably, you know, when you look at the three teams, I think this might be the toughest matchup for them. Yeah, no doubt about it. When you take a look at the odds, you know, you see Georgia's only a seven-point favorite versus Michigan, which was like a nine-point favorite. I don't know where the spread is right now. I haven't followed it. But the number two team was a bigger favorite over the number three team than the number one team was over the four team. So, you know, I know the college football playoff committee, I know Boo Kerrigan said that they didn't talk about avoiding a Michigan-Ohio State rematch in the room. But I listened closely to the wording. Nobody talked about it in the room, he said. That tells me that out of the room they probably did. Let's be honest. Nobody wanted to see a, a Michigan-Ohio State rematch in a semifinal. And do I think that the best team was a deal was kind of manipulated a bit? I, I do. In fact, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't think TCU is really one of the four best teams. Now, this is where it gets sticky, Coach, because in 2017, I do believe Alabama was one of the four best teams. But I'll tell you what. In 2018, I believed that Georgia was one of the four best teams. But that's when the CFP stepped in with this protocol and said, oh, you know, when these teams are so even, and gosh, we just can't tell the difference between Oklahoma and the Big 12 and this two-loss Georgia team. So we're going to go to protocol and go with our conference champ, Oklahoma. And Oklahoma got ahead of Georgia in 2018 when Georgia was one of the four best. You know what happened? Oklahoma was down 28 to zero within 16 minutes to Alabama against an Alabama team Georgia led by two touchdowns. So I think that the CFP has gone from being the four best to the four most deserving. And I think because if I was going four best, my four best teams would be Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and, and probably Michigan. Now, I think Ohio State is more dangerous for Georgia than Michigan matchup wise. But I think Michigan would have to get it because they won the CFP. What are your thoughts on college football playoff and four best versus most deserving? Well, I got two things. First of all, you said, when are you going to talk to Kirby again? That'll be after signing day. Probably. <laughs> That'll be the next time you talk to Kirby. It'll be after signing day. Two, I promise you the folks in Columbus, they were real excited about getting into the college football playoffs, but they didn't like their draw either. I can guarantee you that. Uh, but – you know, it, it's, I mean, hey, to me, you got to go by records. Uh, we talked about it last week. You know, you asked me who I thought would get in. I told you I thought TCU was already in based off their body of work. Georgia and Michigan were going to be in. And then if, if uh, USC won, they would be in. If they didn't, it would it would fall to Ohio State. I just don't see how you, you place a, uh, a two-loss team ahead of a one-loss team. Um if we're not gonna if we're not gonna go by records, then we need to have a super conference and let's just play it that way, you know, and, and take the top 32, 36 teams, whatever it is, 40 teams in the country, and say, hey, we're gonna create it like the NFL, and here we go, this is it, and push everybody else out. Yeah. Well, we got what we got. We're gonna have this committee moving forward when we go to a 12-team playoff, and this absolutely does tee up what people want to see in a twenty and that's only two years away. It's amazing that they got it done. But in two more years, two seasons from now, we're going to be sitting here looking at a 12 team playoff and it's it's going to accumulate in Atlanta will be the first CFP championship game after a 12 team playoff. A lot of excitement. And I'm going to move on now. Heisman finalists were announced tonight. Stetson Bennett, the very first Georgia Heisman finalist since 1992 when Garrison Hurst made that trip to New York City. Ironically enough, that was the only time, that was the only season that Georgia played the Ohio State. Those teams have only met once. Georgia won that game, picked off Kirk Curbstreet, 21-14 victory for Georgia when those teams met in the bowl games. So the news tonight, your finalists are C.J. Stroud, uh, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, and Stetson Bennett, and I got to tell you, I think it's a lot of recency bias. I think it's a lot of what have you done for me lately and watching those kids over the final weekend because the first and the second team, all SEC quarterbacks, they're not there. So it's pretty. It's a pretty interesting list to me, Coach. Yeah, you know, so I, I kind of dug into the numbers of all these guys today just looking at it. 
you know, to me, when you look at the numbers, uh, to me, Hendon Hooker had the best season. You know, Hendon Hooker don't control what happens on the defensive side. Uh, he played 11, 11 games. I mean, he got hurt at the very end of the South Carolina game. The numbers he put up in that game were really good. The one game that maybe the numbers wasn't as great was Georgia, but who has put up great numbers against Georgia? You know, this past week, a second-team quarterback uh, in the second half. But, you know, I, I told you last week that I felt like Bryce Young was the best player in college football. I still believe that. But statistically, his numbers, to me, were not as good as Hendon Hooker's. Now, neither one of those guys got invited to New York, right? So they're not in the, the top four. So I started breaking down the other four guys. I mean, hey, I'm, 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 as, I'm with Stetson Bennett. I mean, I look at that and look at his numbers. Uh, his numbers are as good or better when you talk about uh, his, his uh, pass, pass completion percentage, his quarterback rating. Uh, how many touchdowns or how many plays that he makes with his feet. And then you look at uh, the record of his team. Uh, a lot of folks want to talk about statistically, maybe it, his might be a little bit behind some of the others. You got to throw into the fact that Georgia has dominated most of the games and Stetson has really, uh, you know, he, just doing what his coach is asking to do. He's handed the ball off a lot in the second half. So statistically his stats can be much better. Yeah, there's no doubt if Kirby and, and Todd Munkin wanted to run the numbers up for Stetson Bennett, they could have done that easily earlier this season. I didn't think he had a great November. Honestly, there were a few games he didn't have a touchdown. They had to rely heavily on the run game. But, you know, the Heisman Trophy incorporates so much, and there's no doubt that Stetson Bennett has one of the four best stories in college football this season and, and really in the last decade. When you want to talk about a storybook player and – what Stetson's been through in the journey. It's irresistible story. Uh, it, it, this doesn't have to do with who are going to be the first four players drafted. Obviously, this doesn't really even have to do with who would be the first four players you'd pick on your team, right? It, it's so much more than that. And, and I think the University of Georgia and Kirby can really celebrate this award because I think it stands for so much. And I'll ask you this as a member of former member of the Alabama staff and, and having, I guess your staff was responsible for actually signing Hendon Hooker. And I guess I, I counted this up, but tell me if I'm right. I counted up 17 starters on this Tennessee team that I think you signed. Am I 15 or was it less than that? Where, where's that number at? Well, it's probably because it, it's, I was there for three years and it's only been two years. Okay. Okay. So a lot of those guys, they, uh, how much of a boost is it to a program when you get a Heisman Trophy finalist? What does that mean to recruiting? Well, it, it shows you that it can be accomplished. You know, um, I mean, I probably, you, you did the same as me, you know, I, I growing up in the, in, you know, in, a, in the South and, or wherever across the country, right. Anywhere football's football's universal, right. Uh, especially in America. So, Anywhere you you see who wins the Heisman Trophy, they're on TV. Uh, you know, as a little kid, you you think about, hey, I want to be this guy, I want to be that guy. So um, when you have an opportunity for any university that's it's not had one or it's been a long time, uh, you can see that if I want to accomplish that goal, I can do it at that university. And you know, I I think if you look at uh, what Georgia's done offensively, uh, you know, I think a lot. Since Kirby's been at Georgia, everybody thinks is Georgia's a ground and pound and defense first. And, and hey, they are. Uh, but look at Stetson Bennett's numbers this year. Uh, and that's with a lot of his wide receivers being out. You know, that you know some of the top wide receivers have been in and out of the lineup the entire year. So uh, I think it speaks volumes to Kirby and Todd Munkin and the offensive staff and what can be accomplished at the University of Georgia. Yeah, I think it's huge, and, and I think it's huge for Stetson. It says a lot that Stetson was able to persevere and go through so much. You know, when we had Ryan Day on a, a Zoom press conference yesterday, they had Kirby and, and Ryan Day on to announce this, this pairing, and the coaches got to talking about the transfer portal, and we're going to talk about that here in a second because it's a, it's a whole new world, right? Today is the first day of the rest of the college football world's life with a 45-day free agency window. Uh, but they, him and Kirby were talking about the culture and you got to recruit these kids and build them up. And, you know, you only go for the poor. So I said to Coach Day, I, said, I couldn't avoid this, Jeremy. You, you've had me in your press conferences before. You probably wish you wouldn't have a couple of times. But I said, hey, man, I said, let me ask you, Coach, 
What about Justin Fields? What was it like for you to land Justin Fields, and what did he mean to Ohio? And I watched Kirby's expression. I think he might have smirked a little bit when I asked that question. I said, what was it like you having Justin Fields in your program? And Ryan, Ryan Day said, well, you know, to start out, Kirby was first class. You know, he handled it so well. And Justin had nothing but great things to say. And, and it was so important. Obviously, he left a legacy here. And he said, and we know how it is. These things are always hard. This is how the world is. He said, we lost Joe Burrow and Jameson Williams. Right. So he's kind of saying, look, we, we get it. Ohio State lost Joe Burrow and Jameson Williams. Georgia lost Justin Fields. We're seeing so much more. And Justin is kind of the, the tie that binds when you think about Ohio State and Georgia, like I wrote. If you type it into Google, Justin Fields' name's going to come up everywhere. You've been around it enough to know about this portal. And you were a proponent of players being a graduate transfers, I recall, at media at the uh, spring meetings back in, I believe, 2017 or 2018, whenever you were hired. What do you think about the current state now with the way this 45-day window and portal works in a free one-time transfer, Coach? Well, um, I think when the rule was put in place, it was for the uh, probably the, the mental health and well-being of the student-athlete. That was one of the primary reasons that it was put into place. You know, coaches change, situations change. Things happen in, in, in young men and women's home life that can possibly change uh, that would benefit them to, to transfer. Um, when you look at the portal plus the NIL, that's created a whole new animal. Um, and, hey, I I'm, I'm for paying the players. You know, I'm, I would be for one that you take the TV money and somehow you divvy it up and make it to where uh, this is this is kind of what you get. You know, kind of like you, you, you know, I guess in um, the professional leagues, they, they, you know, they have a salary structure. I would be for that because uh, I do know as a transfer myself, uh, mm -hmm. you lose hours uh, when you transfer. You know, if statistically, if you look at when um, a student athlete transfers, probably uh, their chances of graduating probably decrease, you know, and, and one of the most important things any a uh, student athlete can do when they go to school is, is get their degree. Uh, you're not going to play ball forever, obviously, but with, with what's going on today, I'm, 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 I'm seeing the same thing you are. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at my Twitter feed and I'm seeing guys that I think are really good football players that had a lot of success at good programs and they're in the portal. And I'm just kind of scratching my head here. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, you, every circumstance is different and you can't make a rule based off one individual circumstance. Uh, so I think it's something that we're going to have for a while. I think obviously the longer that it goes on, I think probably the governing bodies uh, will kind of get a better feel of it and obviously come up with some rules that will kind of help control it. But I'm sure it's all, everybody's going to have always have the student athletes mental health first. Yeah, well, we've seen it at Georgia, certainly Kirby manages the Bulldogs, and it's going to be interesting. It's going to make things that much harder, I think, to manage in the locker room when certain guys have deals and other guys don't. I know that's something Coach Saban was concerned about and, and talked about early. I know that's something that Kirby has been very aware of in, in terms of making sure that these guys communicate with one another. I heard Nick Saban talk the other day about missing the playoff. And he talked about what they needed to do better. And one of the things he mentioned was communication. So for so many years, and, and we've heard how Kirby Smart just took the Alabama system and replanted it here. Well, here's a situation where I think Kirby kind of had a leg up on Alabama when he started these skull sessions and their ability to communicate. I think that's been a real key for Georgia. And, and let me ask you about that, because you're one of the, the Saban assistants that went on to become a head coach. And, of course, you also coached under Jimbo Fisher. Uh, you played under Gene Stallings. So you've had exposure. Uh, you obviously coached under Mark Richt. Um, what is it about coaching under Saban and, and how much of that quote-unquote system, what, what's the nuts and bolts, do you think, that the former Saban assistants bring it make them such attractive candidates to programs? Well, I think first of all, just being um, involved in a program that's been at the very top, you know, uh, if you look at the success that coach Saban's had over his career and, you know, you look at 
I would say that myself, I can't speak for anybody else that's left his system, but I bet from one of the biggest things that everybody takes from him is his organizational skills and his, his plan. Uh, Cause his plan is, is really, really good. 365 days out of a year. Now everybody has to put their own personality on it. And, you know, you mentioned Kirby and, and his staff uh, being able to kind of keep kind of controlling uh, the narrative a little bit about people in the portal and all that. I think a lot of that goes to the stability of his staff. Uh, you know, Kirby's not had a lot of turnover. Obviously, he's lost mail. And when you have some success, you have the success that George has had, you're going to lose some guys. But he's really he's really had um, um, a lot of stability on his staff. And, and I'm going to point out a guy that I actually had the opportunity to work for when I was at Georgia. And I think he's a guy that is important as anybody in the program. Uh, is Jonas Jennings. Uh, when I when I had an opportunity to work for Coach Rick and Coach Rick hired him, um, I mean, the guy done a phenomenal job in player development and kind of knowing the heartbeat of each individual player on the team. And Kirby kept him. They obviously played together at Georgia. And I think he's an integral part of the success at Georgia. Yeah, it's interesting because those are some of the behind-the-scenes guys that really tie the program together. I mean, Coach Smart at the top of it, but, you know, your strength and conditioning coach is obviously huge and how much time he spends with the student athletes when the coaches are away and the off-season conditioning. You mentioned a guy, a player development guy, a relations guy like a Jonas Jennings that's behind the scenes, to your point, the heartbeat of the team, understanding the kids, you know, maybe getting to the root of the problems because before they become big problems. And, and now Kirby Smart with the skull sessions – and the time that he's dedicated towards these relationships. If there's one thing I've learned just being a beat guy covering Kirby, because I try to learn a little something from everybody that I cover. I try to take something away. I mean, you know, guys like, you know, yourself and, and Josh Heupel or Kirby Smarter, listen, they don't get hired because they don't know what they're doing, all right? They're all good leaders. They all have good leadership skills and traits. So you, you can't help but try to take something away. The thing with Kirby, it's time management. He's extremely efficient with his time. So if he's going to dedicate time and designate time towards player relationships, that tells you how important it must be because that time could be going somewhere else. And I think now, Jeremy, with the portal, I think that's more important than ever because we're not just talking about recruiting on the front end. We're talking about recruiting on the back end. And I said this a couple of years ago when Alabama beat Georgia in 2018 and 2020, I said, they're not beating Kirby on the front end anymore. They're beating him on the back end. They're getting these guys to come back for their senior year. And instead of being a third or a second round pick, now they're a first round pick. And you were probably around for some of that. And how did Saban approach it? And how much of it is just players trusting and buying in that, you know what, if I follow the plan, not only can I win a national championship, but I can be a first-round pick. Well, what do they say? A pitcher's worth a thousand words, right? So you 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 see it. You see somebody come back within your own program. You know, Kirby's not talking about what happened at somewhere else. It happens at, at the University of Georgia where a guy does come back and he develops and is a first-round pick. You know, so it's so what does he do? Uh, when he comes back to the University of Georgia, when he's talking to guys that are trying to make decisions, they say, hey, listen, uh, you need to listen to this guy. Um, and, and I think another thing is trust, you know, which starts in the recruiting process. It starts over the three or four years that they play for an individual coach. You know, uh, I mean, hey, in everyday life, Mike, you you know who you can trust and who you can't. Right. right. So uh, building that trust. And the only way you build that is is with a relationship. And, hey, let me tell you, football's tough. And at Georgia, there's a lot of competition every single day. So you've got to be honest, and you know that Kirby is. Uh, you can see the way it's developed throughout the team. Um, and so when it comes time to make those decisions, uh, parent, whoever, uh, the, the, the student athlete, whoever's involved, uh, they get them the information, you know, from all the different professional teams, and, and, and they make good decisions. And I can tell you, uh, just being around Kirby over the years, if he feels like a guy needs to enter the draft, he would tell him that, you know, he, I mean, Hey, it doesn't do anybody any good uh, as a, as a coach to not put their best foot forward for their student athletes. 
Yeah, and you were you were by Kirby's side for six years in that program on the same defensive staff and working side by side for a lot of those national championships. Coach, I want us to take a, a halftime break. When we come back, I want to get to the real controversial part of the show. You've been pretty good about throwing some picks out there and some initial thoughts about the bowl pairings. Don't always make people happy, but you shoot from the hip. I appreciate it. So let's take this quick break. We'll recognize our sponsor, Ingles. When we come back, we're going to go over the bowl matchups. We're going to get Jeremy's thoughts on the Georgia-Ohio State game. I don't know if we can squeeze a pick out of him yet, but I think he's got an inkling. I want to take a look at some of these other picks. Florida losing Anthony Richardson, South Carolina, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Clemson. Got a lot to talk about right after this message from our sponsor, Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel full there's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. With open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. Welcome back to the program. Mike Griffith joined by Jeremy Pruitt. You're watching our Angles on the Beach show here Monday night. We've had some exciting news to recap it. Stetson Bennett, one of four finalists for the Heisman Trophy. The first time that's happened since 1992. Big congratulations in order for Stetson and for the Georgia offense. Todd Munkin, one of the finalists for the Broyles Award. I've been trying to kind of monitor that to see if he's going to win it. I know that Chris Smith tonight, one of the finalists for the Nagurski Award. Don't think he's going to win that. I think Will Anderson from Bama probably going to win that. But the fact that Chris Smith was recognized as one of the four best defensive players in the country was very well deserved. So, Coach, I told the folks that we'd take a look at some of these bowl games, and I'll start at the bottom. And uh, believe it or not, Florida's at the bottom. And, man, they're really at the bottom because Anthony Richardson announced today that he's turning pro. And this was a shock to me. So, one, I, I know you're also – a uh, familiar friends with Billy Napier. and uh, But if you're Billy Napier, you, you, you talk about a head scratcher. I mean, couldn't Anthony Richardson have developed into a first rounder one and two? What do you think about this? Oregon State now a 10-point favorite over the Gators without Anthony Richardson. What's this do to that program? Well, it, uh, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. It was That kind of shocked me when I saw that today. Uh, obviously, obviously a guy with a lot of talent. Uh, but when you look at just the quarterbacks in this league, where does he stack up? Um, you know, I, I think the guy probably uh, would have benefited from another year in college being in in uh, Billy's system. And uh, you, you could kind of see the growth a little bit as the season went. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> only he knows his circumstance. And I hate to comment on somebody's circumstance when I don't know everything that's going on. Yeah, well – I, whatever circumstance it was, I'm sure some NIL money would have helped it out. But, uh, you know, this is a major talent. He will get drafted. Make no mistake about that. Um, he's, he's clearly still raw, but I've seen some flashes from him that have blown me away. Uh, at times, he his upside, he flashes like Cam Newton, but he's nowhere near as developed as Cam was, certainly uh, bringing back a bad memory for Coach Pruitt there. What an unbelievable Cam Newton performance. Was that 2000? Was that 2010, Jeremy, when he had the – Yeah, it was 10. Yeah, Kirby probably kicked me out of town if I bring it up around him. <laughs> that was an unbelievable hey, – so I, I, I got a question, Mike. Did Kirby slide you that question to ask Ryan Day today? About Justin Fields? No, no, he didn't. But like I said, I thought I thought I might have seen a hint of a, of, a, of a smirk when I asked him. I thought I might have seen it. I bet you did. I bet I, I bet I did. Ryan Day handled that well, though. I'll, I'll say that. Good, he did. good for him. He, 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 yeah, good for him. <laughs> so, Ole Miss, minus four over Texas Tech. One of your old uh, former uh, uh, coaches there at Alabama with you, Lane Kiffin, today's seen with his arm around Kirby mugging for the camera somewhere. They're a four-point favorite in the Texas Bowl. What are your thoughts on Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss? Uh, do you think he almost took the Auburn job, and who do you like in the Texas Bowl? Well, I don't know. if uh, I don't know about the Auburn job, but Lane needs to – they need to get back to winning. You know, they had started off the season really hot, and, um, you know, he is running the ball really, really well. So – I think this is an opportunity for them to kind of build on to next year, um, kind of go back, reset, 
Um, and I, I like Ole Miss. I like Ole Miss. I like them running the football and those good running backs they got. And, you know, you give Lane a little bit of time, he's, he, he finds a way to put points on folks. He, he does. He does. And, and I think that they'll be up for this. Things have settled down now to your point. They did not finish the year well. They lost to Mississippi State, a losing streak there at the end of the season. Here's a really intriguing matchup, and, and I'm excited to Mike, huh? we can't talk about Lane because he'll he'll be trolling us on Twitter. <laughs> he, he'll, he will come after you on Twitter. We've seen media and other coaches. So maybe we're in the maybe we're gonna be in the crosshairs here tonight. Uh, this bull I'm excited about. And Shane Beamer is a guy that we both know and we both like. I think everyone likes Shane. I think he's a good guy. And you know, the feel-good story, you know, you kind of oh, he's such a good guy. Really hope it works out. Well, not only did it work out, but he beat ten. He put sixty-three on Tennessee, and then he beat Dabo Sweeney and Clemson in Death Valley. And I, this is mind blowing to me because I watched Georgia. This tells you how good Georgia can be. I watched Georgia beat them forty-eight to six in Columbia, and this same South Carolina team, really minus their best running back, by the way, takes down Tennessee and Clemson, and now Beamer's got a chance. To play Notre Dame. I mean, could you? I got to tell you, can you believe it? Are you are you as surprised as I am? So I, I'm I'm just going to kind of predict something here, Mike. So before the transfer portal, if you started off really hot early on in the season, you could kind of rack up in recruiting. If you fizzled down down toward the end of the season, uh, it didn't really matter because everybody kind of had their mind made up anyhow. Now with the transfer portal, you can kind of fizzle early on in the season, but if you get hot like South Carolina has these last two games, uh, the upset of Tennessee, upset of Clemson, and and they pour one on Notre Dame here, or they even before you got early signing period, look out for them in the transfer portal. A team that gets hot late in the year, you said it earlier when you talk about Heisman boating, what have you done for me lately? Um, I could see I could see Shane racking up in the transfer portal and kind of um, probably in making his roster much, improve his roster and, and maybe move up a, a step in the SEC. Well, he, he might have to because I saw that that tight end from Oklahoma that transferred with Rattler said says he's leaving. So that, that's the, the writing on the wall. That makes me wonder if Rattler's coming back. I think Rattler said he's considering his options, and we'll see. I hope Spencer Rattler comes back. I really think these quarterbacks can benefit from another year. You know, we, we saw Hendon Hooker and how much growth he had this this past year. Um, I, I really I wish Anthony Richardson would have come back for his sake uh, because I think it's a development thing. I hope Spencer Rattler comes back another year, especially if if uh, you know Freddie Kitchens is still there. You know, you got a former NFL head coach and quarterback coach there that did so much for Rattler this year, and Freddie was I think one of the guys probably behind the scenes. Uh, that's a great benefit for Rattler. Uh, but we'll see what he does. Notre Dame, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. You, you got an early lean in this game? Any early feeling? I like South Carolina. I think South Carolina is going to continue to throw the ball down the field. Notre Dame uh, plays a lot of man-to-man. -man. I think you'll see a lot of deep shots in that game. Here's an interesting game. Mississippi State and Illinois. You've got some experience playing, coaching against Brett Billima. Uh, you're certainly familiar with Mississippi State. And Mississippi State getting that win late. You, know, you were the one that forewarned us about that crazy Mississippi State defense and how it could cause problems for Tennessee or for Georgia. And it sure did that night in Starkville. Georgia was able to overcome uh, some, some turnovers in that game. What do you think about Mississippi State and Illinois and what used to be the Outback Bowl? It's now called the Real Quest Bowl in Tampa. Well, the one thing about bowl games, um, <clears throat> I would say that, both teams are going to be excited to be in that game. It's in, it's obviously in Florida, right? So I'm always looking like, hey, who's going to win this game in the bowl game? Well, who who's fired up to be there and who's pissed off to be there, right? So <laughs> right. I, I would say that Illinois is going to be fired up to be in this game. I would think Mississippi State is too. So this may be one of the better games. Um, but I, I like Mississippi State. I really do. I, I, I like uh, what they do on defense. I thought um, – in the Egg Bowl, I thought Mike Leach got to running the football, uh, which the way everybody's been dropping eight against them, they probably needed to. Um, so I, I like Mississippi State in this game. I think it'll be a, a great game, one of the better games of the bowl season. 
Now, here's another game. I don't know who's going to score first or who's going to score at all. Kentucky and Iowa playing the Music City Bowl there in Nashville. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of I, I, like you said, is Will Levis going to play in this game? I don't I don't know the answer to that question. And, you know, Iowa is usually a pretty decent bowl team, but they're usually never much more than decent. I guess that's good enough because that coach has been there forever, and I don't know what he's really won other than, you know, eight to ten games a year. They really like that Kirk Ferentz guy. Uh, and, but you're you're a big Mark Stoops guy. He's one of the coaches that you respect and admire. What are your thoughts about Kentucky and Iowa? The Wildcats a two-point favorite. Well, Kentucky uh, has lost their offensive coordinator, right? So I don't think Mark has hired an offensive coordinator yet. So this could possibly be somebody a chance to kind of – uh, if Mark doesn't hire somebody between now and then, maybe somebody gets a, a rehearsal for it in this game. So um, I think Kentucky has some playmakers on the outside. They're young, but it's, it's uh, you know, obviously it's the end of the year, so these guys aren't young anymore. They've played 12 ball games. So um, Iowa plays really good defense, but I think – I like Kentucky. I, to me, Mark's uh, teams are always gritty. Uh, they they beat several teams in this bowl game in this in this bowl in Nashville already. So I look for I look for Kentucky to win. Yeah. Speaking of gritty and effort, I, I'll be honest. I got to tip my cap to LSU. You know, I'm watching this game and LSU. I mean, they put 158 yards offense on Georgia in the first quarter, folks. I mean, they're executing. They're executing the game plan and they're marching on the dogs. And that field goal gets blocked, and Chris Smith scoops it up. And if you're Brian Kelly, you just got to go. You got to be kidding me, right? And, and then a couple series later, uh, Chris Smith, the guy we just talked about with a 96-yard return at the Nagurski, he makes this incredible deflection. The ball bounces off a guy's helmet into another. Brian Kelly's got to be thinking, what in the – you know, what is going on here? It is just not LSU's day. And they're down 35-7, to Coach. And then their starting quarterback gets hurt. And I'm thinking, let's turn out the lights and get out of here. They end up putting 548 yards on Georgia. And I know at the start of the show, you said, that, you know, maybe Georgia wasn't prepared for that backup quarterback. That's still a Kirby Smart defense. 548 yards and 30 points, whether Kirby's prepared for it or not, says a lot to me about Brian Kelly and LSU and the temperament in the mode of that team. I saw Boutte is coming back for another year. That's a sign of a healthy program when the star player returns, especially when I think about the way that season started with him kind of being fussy against Florida State and looking like there was some kind of sideline. So they're an eight-point favorite over Purdue, another team that will fight you, to, as Tennessee learned last year. They upset Tennessee, of course, in the – I believe it was the Music City Bowl. Eight-point favorite over Purdue in the Citrus Bowl in Orlando – Two gritty teams. Your thoughts on this one? There'll be a lot of points in that game. That's what I think. A lot of points. Uh, but I do. I think if you you look, at Brian Kelly said before the game they're going to fight against Georgia, and they did. You know, and and uh, I, I, I've said this before. I, I do think that getting up thirty-five to seven, I think naturally as uh, a team, you relax probably a little bit. Uh, and I say, hey, you got to start thinking probably as a coaching staff, is there somebody we need to get out of this game? You know, because we got a lot more games after this one, you know. Uh, but you got to give LSU credit um, for, for continuing to fight. And I think it says a lot about the wide receiver coming back. Um, it says a lot about Brian Kelly and his staff and the belief in what's being built in, in Baton Rouge. Coach, we'll take some questions later, but I, I did see a comment, and I've heard a lot of comments. I've heard a lot of people saying, well, Georgia was in the prevent defense the whole second half. I'll let you explain the difference between a base and a zone and a prevent, and tell me what you saw. And you've been in the huddle with Kirby Smart when he's called defenses at Alabama. You've called defenses for two national championship teams yourself. You were on with Nick Saban for several years. So what were we seeing in the second half as far as the defense against a quarterback that, as you said earlier, they didn't really have a whole lot of film on? Yeah, I think if you 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 look uh, with Daniels in the previous games, there was not a lot of drop back pass. Uh, a lot of it was because the youth on the offensive line, uh, a lot of what you'd call zone plays, zone replays, slipper plays, um, some RPOs and and mixing in a little drop back pass and movement with the quarterback, getting him, 
you know, different ways to get him out of the pocket because he can run and hurt you with his feet. Um, and then obviously when he's out of the game, um, you know, LSU went to, you know, drop back pass. And, and um, I'm going to tell you the way Kirby and his staff are going to prepare for each team. They're going to figure out what, what patterns they run, what's their dominant patterns they run in certain down and distances, and they're going to scheme to take them away. I believe that they were seeing things that they hadn't seen all year. So they were having to play uh, just th playing things off camp principles, you know. So obviously and, – and they probably had subbed a little bit too, you know. So – and I think uh, LSU took advantage of it. But I thought there in the, maybe the last eight minutes, you saw a lot more movement out of the front, uh, out of Georgia's front, uh, creating some twists and things up front and, uh, and got to the quarterback. But, I mean, you talked about it today. The one thing to me that stuck out in that – um, is can Georgia get to the quarterback rushing four, which is going to come into play this next game. I thought when it got to that point that they would really dominate LSU's front when it came to pass rushing and putting pressure on the quarterback. And, and I didn't see that uh, for the last, you know, last half of the third quarter, early part of the fourth quarter. Now, had they subbed and some of that possibly too, right? So, uh Something we talked about today, so it'll be interesting when we get to the Georgia Ohio State matchup. Yeah, well, and, and again, this is where this is where they really missed Nolan Smith because he was that edge rusher. Now, Jalen Carter is is a is a grown man, but as you said, we'll we'll table that for now because now we're going to talk about uh, your old school in some respects. One of your old schools, you've coached in Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee. Let's go Alabama first. That's where you ended up uh, your playing career. You transferred there from Middle Tennessee State. Uh, I believe you the second team safety. I know you ran the scout team. You were Alabama Stetson Bennett, Jeremy, back then. You were running the scout team at safety back there for Gene Stallings uh, back uh, early in your career at Bama. So, and a quarterback in high school, weren't you? I think you were. No, I was not, not, not hardly Stetson Bennett. I can assure you. That. <laughs> so Alabama is a four point favorite over Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl, and. I'll be honest with you. Typically, I, I take Alabama. Alabama is just such an automatic pick. But, man, those Kansas State guys play hard. And, yeah, they got beat by Tulane. But this is kind of one of those who's excited to be there. I want to know if Bryce Young's playing, obviously. But Bama's got some guys that are going to be – what are your thoughts on this game, Alabama-Kansas State Sugar Bowl? You know, I don't care who's playing. To be honest, I really don't. I, I I think that Alabama will dominate this game. I do. Um, you know, when you look at uh, what the way that the expectations at the beginning of the season and then how the season turned out, I can guarantee ever who's going to play in this game is going to be ready to play. And I think Alabama just has that much more talent than than Kansas State. Now, Kansas State's got a greedy team. Uh, they do a lot of really good things in all three phases. Uh, so, and it, I believe it's an early kickoff. So that might have something to do with it too. You know, you can look at it two ways. You can say Alabama is going to be hungry to prove something, or you can go back and say, are they going to stay out on Bourbon Street all week? Right. <laughs> so I think they're going to be hungry to prove something. Right. Yeah. I had somebody just noticing a question here. Somebody said, well, Jalen Carter didn't play the fourth quarter. Jalen Carter played 45 snaps. That's about his limit. You're not going to play Jalen Carter. I think 48 snaps is the most he's played all year. So if he wasn't in there in the fourth quarter, it's because there were a lot of plays. Again, I don't think Kirby Smart just pulled the plug on his team, folks. I know that that's a convenient way to look at it, but I think you've got to address some realities that Georgia's going to have some challenges. We're going to get to that in a second. And now this, to me, this game coming up, this is the best bowl game of the bowl season to me. I can't wait to see it, Jeremy. I know you can't help but be personally invested. You recruited whatever it was, 15, 17, 18 of those Tennessee starters. Uh, Hendon Hooker was a leftover from your staff. The Bolitnikoff finalist, Jalen Hyatt, was a guy you helped bring in. You still know the family. And the Vols are going to be playing a Clemson team that just made a quarterback change that I got to tell you, I think makes all the difference in the world. I'm going to give you my pick out of the gate. I like Clemson in this game uh, just because of the quarterback change, the momentum, and old crazy Dabo. And he was on a staff when you played there. He made the whole staff in the building watch the South Carolina game film. Now, I don't know where Dabo got what book he read that out of. I don't remember Coach Stallings doing it. I don't know. But would you ever make your entire football building watch a football game? And what was Dabo thinking? 
Well, he was proving a point. That's what he was thinking. He was proving a point. Uh, and I think he got it proved. I mean, you look, uh, obviously they made a change in the, in the third quarter there, the third possession uh, against North Carolina and really never looked back. Uh, I, I think, you got to look at Clemson's defense. Uh, I think they responded after what happened at South Carolina. You know, uh, North Carolina scored a lot of points on a lot of folks, so uh, they played extremely well. It'll be interesting, too, I think, looking at Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has a lot of really good talent, uh, but there's also – there's going to be uh, areas of depth uh, that could be issues if they have guys that opt out or, you know, go ahead and declare – whatever, declare for the draft. So – uh, that's something that would be key there. I think Clemson has a young football team that's going to be building for next year around a a, a, a freshman quarterback. Um, I, probably for the first time all year, I probably like uh, I, I would like Clemson over Tennessee. I've been I've been pushing the balls pretty strong all year. I think in this game, I kind of agree with you. I kind of like Clemson. Yeah, you have. You've been very complimentary. In fact, I'll ask you, uh, Josh Heupel today named the SEC Coach of the Year. And, man, there, there, there was certainly no lack of great candidates. You had Coach Heupel. Uh, you had Brian Kelly, who was actually second. I, I, I was a proponent for Kirby. I think Kirby's going to be a national coach of the year, but not a, an all-SEC coach of the year. It's kind of weird. It's like Stetson didn't make first or second team all-SEC, but he's a Heisman finalist. Kirby's not the SEC coach of the year, but he's a national coach of the year finalist. So it's kind of only in the SEC thing. But what were your thoughts on Josh winning that award and what he's been able to do in the program uh, since you left there a couple of years ago? Well, I think you look at Josh, Shane, uh, Brian Kelly, and Kirby. I, I think those four uh, all you, you could have argued for them to some extent. Uh, to me, I, I – I think Josh went in 10 games. I mean, it was the first time since 2003, I think I saw that, that Tennessee's won 10 games. I mean, that, that speaks volumes um, for what they've been able to accomplish in, in year two. Um, you know, I, I still, I told you my pick would have been Kirby uh, when I, and I, when I look at what uh, Georgia lost last year um, to the draft and uh, just the dominance that they've displayed this year, um, is, is Georgia the best team uh, this year? I think they are, uh, but I don't think they are by a whole lot, Mike. I'll be honest. I, I think this, this is kind of testament to Kirby and his staff of having their team ready to play every Saturday. So uh, I think I told you before the year, the big – and obviously he's always going to be uh, Georgia's biggest advantage, Kirby, but being – been there, done that with a national championship and going the year after, I think is, again, is a huge advantage uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs. It's really interesting that people on the outside, it's almost a compliment. We've heard it for so many years with Nick Saban. You know, I, I really spoke up for Nick Saban to win coach of the year a couple of years ago on my SEC network appearances. Honestly, I didn't feel like I had to lobby for Kirby. I thought it was pretty obvious this year, but uh, uh they just think, well, you're supposed to win. You got all these five stars. You know, you've been there. You're supposed to win. They don't understand how hard it is to manage, particularly after you've lost all these players. So, yeah, Georgia does have talent, but they lost not only 15 players to the NFL draft, which is the most any team's lost in one year, but 13 to the portal. You've been that guy having to plug it in with all those five stars, Coach. I mean – I guess it's a compliment when people just say, well, you're supposed to win them all. But you, you've been there yourself with uh, whether it's Coach Saban or uh, with Coach Rick or, or with Jimbo Fisher when the Seminoles won a national title. What is the most important trait to have when you're trying to rebuild, when you've lost so many guys like that at a program like a, an Alabama or a Florida State or a Georgia, having coached in all those programs? Really probably just starting over just starting over uh, because <clears throat> nothing that happened last year will have any effect on what's going to happen this year. Uh, and just getting that, you know, everybody's starting over. It doesn't matter if you were all SEC or all American the year before. Uh, that has nothing to do with how you're going to play this next year. You know, that's the great thing about football um, is the best team don't win every Saturday. It's the team that plays the best wins on Saturdays. And I think that's what Georgia has done uh, and made it look easy. 
That that's the thing. They've made it look easy, which I'm not so sure that might it's probably fooled a lot of people across the college landscape. The coaching job to me that's been done with Kirby and his staff. And they got they got two more weeks, right? Or or two more. They're, they're gonna worry about one more game. I should just talk about that. They'll worry about one more game. I shouldn't get ahead of myself. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, I just think it, it just it says a lot about them and where this program's at that they can they can that that's last year and they've started over and it's a whole new team and and they're trying to create their identity and I think you kind of see that you know they're winning a little differently than they won last year uh, and it doesn't always look the same but hey it, this is their team and and to me I think this is probably as good a coaching job uh, out there in the country. Yeah, Kirby said after the game last Saturday, I thought it was funny because he's he's been pretty transparent and almost having fun with it. He said, this team is not comprehensible. And I thought that was a very interesting word. You know, they're not understandable. He said, they, he said tonight was a microcosm of the season. They played some of their best football of the year and they played some of their worst football of the year. You know, because you know he was probably a little teed off about some some broken assignments. He said some of their best, some of their worst. He said, but they did what they had to do to win the game. And that has been the trademark of this team. So now Georgia, uh, a six-point favorite, a uh, seven-point favorite. I don't know who your bookie is, uh, whoever's watching, but whatever you got them at, they're a touchdown favorite over the Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. We talked earlier in the show about the advantage that Ohio State has not playing in a championship game, that extra week of rest. Uh, Jeremy said when he was in Alabama in 2017, there was a boost there. They got healthy, and they got a psychological boost. Is it fair to say that playing in Atlanta for Georgia can't evens that out? If you had your choice of playing in Atlanta as Georgia or having that extra week off, which one do you think those would be more beneficial? I'd rather play in Atlanta as Georgia uh, because I've, I've, I've coached on the Georgia sideline in Athens, uh, and, and I know – and I witnessed this year when Tennessee went to Georgia, what kind of impact uh, that the Georgia fans can have on a game. And and I'm going to tell you, they're going to need to have that kind of impact uh, in Atlanta. They need to start buying tickets and getting them all. Uh, and and because I, I feel like this Georgia team has kind of honored the Georgia program with the the, the discipline and and uh, just how they've went to work. It seems like every week to be prepared to be at their best. I mean, hey, now it's time for the real the real fight to start, right? So uh, it's in Atlanta. They've earned that, and I think the Georgia fans will they'll show up and 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 they'll be like I said before. I thought they were a seven to ten point advantage in that Tennessee game. They need to be that in this game because they might yeah. need it. Yeah, Ohio State buys up tickets, folks. Here's what you need to know: You think Georgia has a big traveling contingent? Wait until you see Ohio State. I saw this when I covered the national championship between Florida and Ohio State out in Arizona in 2007. I'm going to tell you, there was every bit as many Ohio State fans, and they were every bit as loud and obnoxious as Florida fans. If you ever wondered what would happen, if, if you put the Florida fan base in Ohio, you'd get Buckeye fans because this is what they are. They're very confident. They're very boisterous. They're not going to take a back seat to the SEC. They don't care about SEC tradition. They got their own tradition, and they're going to let you know it. So be prepared for Ohio State fans. They will come down and try to take over Atlanta. Make no mistake about it. They are going to sell that town out, and they're going to be there strong. I, I think this fan – this is – to me, Jeremy, I know how Ohio State is, man. They're, they're going to have – they're going to come close to half the crowd. I don't know that they'll have the, the, the barking and the passion, but that, that night that I saw Ohio State and Florida play for the national – let me tell you. It was pretty rowdy in the crowd. I'm just going to tell you, things got pretty loud and pretty rowdy between Ohio State and Florida fans, and I'm seeing it coming. I'm seeing it bright as day. Now, Coach, you're an expert on the field. I talked with Team Tebow last Friday, and Tebow told me that he thought Georgia would defend Jaden Daniels similar to how they defended AR-15, Anthony Richardson at Florida. He said he thought that meant probably more zone coverage and the reason why is because when you're in zone, you can keep it in front of you. You can make plays on the ball, and you're not as susceptible to the quarterback hurting you with his legs. You're far more advanced in this area than I am. How would you explain how they would probably try to defend 
um, a quarterback like C.J. Stroud out of the gate, who I think is probably a bigger, better version of Anthony. Well, he's definitely a more polished version. This is going to be the best quarterback that George has played since Bryce Young, probably the only quarterback in his league that Kirby's seen in the last, gosh, I don't know, four or five years is Bryce Young. And, and, uh, and Ohio State has good wide receivers too. You know, they've got guys that can win one-on-one. And, and they've got good – they got big old offensive linemen, you know. So, I think the key to this game, number one, is just going to be in the trenches. Uh, just starting with defensively, uh, being able to create create pressure and, and keeping C.J. Stroud in the pocket and making him play quarterback from the pocket. If they can, if they can uh, control him with a four-man rush, uh, I don't think Georgia's going to have any problems. If they, if they can't, you know, if he can get out with his feet and extend plays, um, and they can – and let me go back, and Georgia can control the run game, right? Got it. number one, shut the run game off, make them be one-dimensional. But then you look at um, if they start having to bring pressure – uh, to, to affect the quarterback. Now that puts the defensive backs a little bit on an island out there with guys that uh, have been playmakers all year. I mean, Ohio State's got uh, two guys that will possibly go in the first round at wide receiver. So uh, you're talking about as good as skilled players as they played, right? So I, I see that's a huge deal. Probably the best defense Georgia can have is that, that big old offensive line Georgia's got is getting – running the football, controlling the football uh, by pounding it, uh, creating some vertical shots, uh, you know, some boots and things on first down, getting Stetson out of the pocket, uh, getting the tight ends involved with a screen game and things like that, just kind of controlling the football and making Ohio State play from behind. Yeah, well, that's that's the key. That's how Michigan did it. I don't think they're going to get the same Ohio State that Michigan got. You talked about the new life and the momentum that Ohio State has. I think the first quarter is going to be so important. And I guess my concern would be this. And I know Kirby game plans a little different offensively, depending on the offense or on the defense, as you said, that, that complementary football. He kind of knows what he needs to do. For example, against Tennessee, he made it a priority to jump out early, be a little bit more aggressive early on because he wanted Tennessee playing from behind. I think to your point, he's going to try to control the clock. The concerning thing for me is that George has been outplayed in the first quarter of the last two games. Now, Georgia Tech, you can say they're overlooking them because it's a team they can dominate. Uh, but the LSU, that opening drive, um, that that kind of made that kind of made me wonder. You know, one of the things Kirk said before that I kind of remember every time I watch his teams play because they're so doggone good out of the gate. Uh, only two teams even uh, scored touchdowns, I believe, in the first quarter, and that was what. Or LSU, or was LSU the only team to get a touchdown? Two teams led after the first quarter this year. Missouri and LSU, and, and LSU was only the second team to score a, a touchdown in the first. Yeah, Georgia Tech and LSU. There we go. I finally got it right. They had not given up a touchdown in the first quarter all season until these last two games. And something Kirby said about Gus Malzahn was, you try to survive the first quarter and kind of figure out what he's doing, right? And I wonder how much of that – will be the case with Ohio State and Ryan Day. A lot of people have said, well, Georgia's already played Tennessee, so they know what to do. How different is Ohio State from Tennessee? You know, that we, we talked about earlier, I've never coached against Ryan Day or Ohio State. But watching them, I, I really watched them against Maryland um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, watched the entire game. And, you know, one thing they did was they, they really ran the football well. They created explosive plays running the football, uh, but a lot of four, four open four open wide receivers, you know, so it's spreading spreading the, the defense out, making you play from sideline to sideline. And the big key is, to me, is C.J. Stroud is arm talent. Uh, there's not a throw out there that he cannot make. He can make all the throws, and he can stretch the field vertically or, or uh, horizontally, uh, and they've got playmakers. So, It'll be a, a huge task uh, for the Georgia's defense. But, you know, this is uh, what we got three weeks, three weeks, four weeks, four weeks, right? Four weeks to the game. 26 uh, days. They he, Kirby had those guys all buzzing 27 days, 27 days, 27 days. 27 days, okay? So I feel like you're going to take the best defensive staff in the country and they're going to have 27 days to put together a, a plan. Uh, 
it'll be a good plan. Uh, and, and to me, it looks like that um, they've had no problem uh, getting their players to buy in to execute the plan. So I, I look for Georgia to have a good plan on both sides of the ball. When we talked earlier today, Mike, I was a little bit worried, you know, uh, about Ohio State's matchup with Georgia. But the more I got to thinking about it throughout the day, I started thinking about the time for the preparation. Uh, and I've kind of started leaning way back more toward the dogs. <laughs> you always end up leaning towards the SEC. We got a few minutes. I want to take some questions. If you got some questions, put them in the comment bar. I, I saw a question in here earlier. We were talking about Georgia not getting pressure with four men. So what do you do to get pressure, Coach, if you're not able to get that pressure with the four men? What will be some of the options that Kirby has? Well, I think, um, you know, Georgia has everything in their kind of arsenal, you know, when it comes to pass rush games, whether it's three-man, four-man. They have simulated pressures where they can rush forward and somebody's dropping out. Obviously, you've seen them bring blitzes this year against Tennessee. They blitzed a lot there, uh, actually three or four times in a row uh, when they were bringing the, the, the star and the free safety. Uh, you can mug up your linebackers, which was happen, happening on that blitz, creating five O's. Uh, so you create one-on-ones for Jalen Carter, which is a huge deal. Um, and so they, they've got every, every possible blitz or way to get pressure. They've got it. Uh, they just, they're just going to pick out what they think fits against Ohio State, number one, when you talk about how they protect uh, based off personnel um, and how they need to disguise. Disguise is going to be huge in this game. Uh, keeping the ball from coming out fast from C.J. Stroud. So, hey, maybe they think it's man-to-man, but it's not. It's some kind of zone. Maybe they think it's uh, a, a pressure playing man-to-man, but it's a pressure and they're playing some form of two-trap or quarters coverage uh, to make him hold the ball, to create one-on-ones so guys like Jalen Carter can go in there and wreck havoc. Yeah, good answer. Okay, here's one for you. You've had to coach against Stetson Bennett before. And, and obviously, uh, being a former coordinator as well as head coach, what makes Stetson so tough to defend if you're a defensive coordinator? Well, I think um, just just watching him now, um, I mean, heck, he's, he's just like having an offensive coordinator out there. You know, he's been in the system for uh, longer than a lot of the coaches. Uh, so, I mean, he, he he's not going to make many mistakes when it comes to mentally. Uh, he has plenty of arm talent. I think he's an accurate passer, um, you know, but to me the big thing is he can extend plays and he can extend them and hurt you with his feet, but he always has his eyes down the field looking for the big play. So uh, I think he's got a command. He's kind of got, uh, I don't know, like that, that it factor about him. Guy's confident. I like it. I like his competitive spirit that he has. Uh, and to me, just watching him play, coaching against him, when he walks out there, he thinks he's the baddest dude on the field. Yeah, like everybody talks about the confidence, and, and certainly that's contagious, and everybody looks for that in the huddle. Uh, you coached with Mark Rick for some time. We talked about the things you take from Nick Saban as an assistant coach and learn. What were some of the things you took with you from coaching with Mark Rick? Man, I tell you what, you, you're talking about a blessing to work in the Nick Saban tree and to work under Coach Rick because Coach Rick, he worked for Bobby Bowden for all those years, right? So – uh, everything that Coach Bowden did, Coach Rick had in a book. And you're talking about having an opportunity for two years to spend time with Coach Rick, I mean, Coach Rick and going, you know, through this kind of Bible, so to speak, uh, of, uh, you know, a, a 365-day guide to your football program. Uh, so I, I've been very blessed, obviously, to work for Coach Saban and and Coach Rick, but uh, one of the things to me about Coach Rick is just how he handles the players. You know, uh, he reminds me a whole lot of my father. Uh, Coach Rick, when you talk about poise, uh, when when they have poise in the dictionary, they should put his picture beside it uh, because the man always kept his poise. Uh, he had passion for his players. He had passion uh, for, for the University of Georgia, right, and just the toughness. You know, um, I mean, there there was times, you know, I've been in Alabama, I've been at Florida State, and, you know, I come to the first couple of Georgia practices, and I'm like, holy moly, we're going to get somebody killed out here. I mean, that's how physical the practices were, you know. So uh, I could I could go on – I could probably write a book uh, about the people that I've had an opportunity to work for and just the things that I've had a chance to learn from them over the years. 
last one for you then. I got to ask you about Kirby. You know, you worked with him side by side for years. Um, you know, you saw him move on to Georgia. You, you coached against him. You coached with him. Uh, what What is it about Kirby that, that puts him over the top? We've seen the personalities of other great coaches that you've been around. I've been around covering, you know, the Gene Stallings, the Mark Ricks, the, you know, I covered, you know, Philip Fulmer. What, what, what is Kirby's thing? Like when you worked with him, what put him over the top and separated him from these other former Saban assistants that moved on and even just other SEC coaches in general? Well, I think, first of all, Kirby is – he's very bright, uh, really, really smart. Um, he, he's got a tremendous work ethic. Uh, he has a way um, – he's a great teacher, you know. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys that know ball, uh, but it's not about what we know. It's about what our players know. I think Kirby's a, a, a phenomenal teacher, um, you know, and, and, you know, I think passion – you know, he has he has passion for the game uh, and passion is something that you you cannot fake. Right. Uh, you either you know it when you see passion, uh, you you recognize it. Right. Uh, and, and he has passion for the University of Georgia. He is a Georgia Bulldog through and through. You know, so I think when it comes to recruiting at Georgia, coaching at Georgia, understanding the rivalries, the expectations, um, I, I mean, it's just a perfect fit, right? Uh, nobody knows it better than him uh, because he's lived it. So, um, but I hope that helped you. Yeah, no, I, I, hey, I'm sitting there in the press conference. Everything you're saying, I'm feeling it sometimes. But he, he educates us too. He teaches us too. We're not quite as colorful a language as he gives the players at times, but he's certainly let the media know and and he's he's fun for me to interact with i enjoy it's been part of part of the fun of covering the program and you know i think you would agree with me it's really about people and you know i've covered a lot of programs you've coached a lot of programs and it's really cool to meet different people and intersect and you know i know some it's, it's interesting we've had john all year first some of the georgia fans are like is that jeremy that, that, he was at tennessee well he was at a well he was at georgia too hey at the end of the day, they're people. They love football, and when they go to these schools, they give everything they've got. And it, it's pretty cool to get to know them. Jeremy, I've appreciated tonight's show. I kind of sprung – just so you all know, Jeremy didn't know he was in for the full show. Usually he's my, my second-half guest, but we started a little bit later tonight with the big news about Stetson Bennett being a Heisman Trophy finalist, and I knew Jeremy and I would have a lot of ground to cover, and I knew you'd appreciate all the information he brings to the table. So, Coach, thanks for joining us tonight. For Jeremy Pruitt, for my producer, Michael Carvel, I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's show. I hope you enjoy this tremendous bowl buildup we're going to have. We'll be back here Monday night talking more football on Angles on the Beat. Have a great week, everybody.